0: What we've been interested in is the question of whether mitochondrial DNA quality control exists, and if it does exist, whether it can be stimulated.
1: Human OS. Learn. Master. Achieve. Professor Bruce Hay, welcome to Human OS Radio. Thanks. Glad to be here. Today we're gonna be speaking about your fascinating work looking at mitochondria and the effects on aging. So let's do a primer on what mitochondria are first.
0: So mitochondria, first and foremost, are these double membrane-bound organelles that are in essentially all cells in your body. And what makes them particularly interesting is that there are hundreds to thousands of them in each cell. The mitochondria produce the bulk of the ATP that you use every day. ATP is the energy currency of the cell. And so you need mitochondria to get things done. And in fact, the amount of ATP that you utilize convert to ADP and then back to ATP is roughly your body weight in ATP per day. It's a huge ongoing process that takes in fuel from the environment and converts it into energy of various sorts. Mitochondria work a bit like a dam does, where water flows into the area that's dammed, and then the energy stored in that water, taking advantage of gravity, gets utilized to turn turbines, and that creates energy. The mitochondria do pretty much the same thing in that they push protons out That creates a a large pool of these protons that are sitting out there that because it's a charge imbalance, they want to get in. And the way they get in is they work through the ATP synthase And as they penetrate through the ATP synthase, they cause a rotor to turn that ends up taking ADP and turning it into ATP. So that's the equivalent of the turbine for a power plant. The other critical thing about mitochondria is they have their own genome. The key thing about all of the cells in your body is that you don't just have one genome floating around in each of your cells. You actually have thousands of genomes. You have your nuclear genome, where you got one copy from your mother, one from your father. But with respect to mitochondrial genomes, you have hundreds to thousands of them. And those are distributed among these organelles floating in the cytoplasm. We'll just abbreviate it as mtDNA. And so you need this in order to create energy. You need this DNA. A final feature of mitochondria that turns out to be very important, they're not just static structures that sit in the cytoplasm like parked cars. They actually fuse with each other and then share contents and then they can also break apart, undergo fission. They should in many ways be thought of as kind of a dynamic network in which they're coming together, going apart, sharing, being isolated for a while coming back together. And that sharing is very important because it's a bit like a team. If you're working as a team, you can share components. So the sharing of components allows cells to oftentimes maximize the amount of ATP that they want to produce. And this turns out to have important consequences because it also does something else that's not so good, that defeats the ability to identify mitochondria containing mitochondrial DNA that is in some way mutant. The way to think about this is the idea of quality control. The question is, Mitochondria are always being generated. They have to work very hard. They create a lot of free radicals, a lot of damaging small molecules, and eventually they get turned over. So even in non dividing cells like muscle, and neurons in your brain, the mitochondria are always being generated and then always being destroyed. That's important because if you didn't get rid of these damaged mitochondria, they would accumulate and your cells wouldn't survive that because they would lose the ability to generate energy. If a team is always together, it's hard to identify those who aren't pulling their own weight. Because everybody is sharing what a quality control system needs in some way when you're talking about team members is it needs for those team members to be isolated at some point where you can actually observe how they do on their own. Do they have a basic ability to accomplish the tasks that are needed? So an important idea in the field now is that fission provides one way of doing that because by having mitochondria isolated from each other, you're providing an opportunity for them to be tested for their ability to make this charge gradient that allows them to make ATP. And if they can't, then perhaps that acts as a signal that tells the cell to remove those mitochondria and thus potentially to remove the damaged mtDNA. So the thing that comes up with aging is oftentimes it seems like bodies are designed to maximize short-term gains. What I mean by that is to maximize your fitness up through, let's say, your 40s, because in pre-industrial life, that was the average lifespan. If you survived to birth, your expected lifespan was 40s, not 80s, 90s and 100s, which is what we're trying to achieve now with an average life expectancy in the 70s and 80s, depending on the culture. And so the key issue with respect to quality control and mtDNA and the fact that there are many mitochondria, many mitochondrial genomes per cell is that quality control may take a backseat oftentimes to meeting more immediate cellular needs like maximizing ATP production, allowing you to do the things you need to do when you're young to survive, to thrive and to maximize your output in various ways with quality control happening when you have time for it as a backseat activity. The way I think about it is if you were to see my office, you would see a big mess. That's because, at least with me, house cleaning always takes a backseat to some other more immediate emergency. Thus, we think in some sense that cells may oftentimes do a similar sort of thing. They have short-term, very immediate, important goals, and quality control may oftentimes take a backseat to that, which is fine when you're young, but as you get older and as that damage starts to accumulate, then you would really like it if quality control could kick in and do a bit of house cleaning.
1: In every cell, we have hundreds to thousands of these organelles. They're always being generated and they have their own genomes. And it's not just one genome for all mitochondria, but thousands They generate energy from broken-down food products, and it produces energy like like a turbine. They fuse together to work as a team to more efficiently produce ATP, but this creates room for mutant DNA to be produced, and the body's always trying to maximize for short-term gains. Therefore, quality control happens when there are less emergencies happening.
0: That's right. Another important concept that's worth thinking about and sort of keeping in mind when we think about mitochondria is that they originally arose as... The result of an endosymbiotic interaction between some cell long ago in the past and another cell which engulfed that cell, the one that was engulfed ultimately became the mitochondria. So endosymbiosis, meaning taking up some other organism and keeping it within you, and over many, many millions of years that set of interactions between the host cell and the bacteria that became the mitochondria has created this thing we call the eukaryotic cell. And the magic of the eukaryotic cell is that because it has these thousands of mitochondria, it effectively internally has a really high surface area that allows you to collect these these proton charges. And so the magic of eukaryotic cells is they're able to create, store, and utilize much more energy than prokaryotic cells because they have all of these mitochondrial membranes that are working hard to store this energy. But the flip side of this is that we should also think of mitochondrial DNA in a way perhaps still having their own selfish interests. Is the mitochondrial DNA that survived from being in you when you were a baby. And because there's constant turnover, the mitochondria in you today aren't necessarily the ones that make you the most fit, you the individual. They're the ones that survive this intracellular competition with other mitochondria and other mitochondrial genomes. It's perhaps not surprising that the ones you see as you age are the ones that manage to avoid being degraded. What you see are the survivors. You see the ones that have found a way to increase in frequency. The reason this relates to aging is that it turns out as we age, we accumulate mutant mitochondrial DNA such that at some point, cells have so much mutant mtDNA that they either die or become otherwise dysfunctional. That leads to loss of function in critical tissues like heart, muscle, and the nervous system. A very interesting question that we don't know the answer to is to figure out how it is that mutant genomes... In particular, deleterious genomes seem to preferentially get amplified. There seems to be something a little bit haywire in cells often, such that the quality control machinery, while it may exist, it doesn't get rid of the bad mitochondria with their mutant genomes. Those genomes have instead found some way to increase in frequency, and that then leads to a problem with aging.
1: Are there signals in the environment that are somehow shaping the situation about how many mitochondria are present, what type they are? And I'm getting at the question of the chicken or the egg with aging. Is something hurting the energy system, allowing for this accumulation of damage to happen?
0: I guess the way I think about aging is that it involves a lot of different things, and we don't want to imply that mitochondria are the only thing that goes wrong, but it oftentimes works in cycles. So there are things from the environment that influence the mitochondria, the amount of energy they're able to generate, stresses that are placed on them from the environment. They respond, and as a part of that response, as a part of making ATP, they create their own damage within the mitochondria that ultimately has to be either repaired or the mitochondria have to be removed. Damage accumulates from both directions, both from inside the mitochondria, the mtDNA itself, because it's next to these oxidative phosphorylation electron transport chains, and those end up producing a high frequency of oxygen-free radicals, and those can damage DNA. So damage is definitely created within the mitochondria, and it can come from outside as well.
1: Bruce, is there a way to influence this process in a manner that is beneficial to us? Great question.
0: A couple of answers. So the nuclear DNA is well positioned for repair because we have two copies of all of our chromosomes. And so what that means is that if the copy you inherited from your father is damaged in some way, the copy you have from your mother can actually act as a template for repair. And in that way, through homology-based repair, you can oftentimes reconstruct the information that was lost in the damaged strand. Mitochondria do have repair pathways because they do get damaged all the time. But in animals, little evidence for frequent recombination of the sort that happens in the nucleus. And because mitochondria are only inherited through your mother, what tends to end up in cells and in mitochondria are just one kind of mitochondrial genome. The independent genomes tend not to interact with each other. That lack of interaction then means that they oftentimes don't have some other partner to exchange information with if there's damage to one of the molecules. So then this is how the damage occurs. An interesting question is, of course, how I told you that damage accumulates throughout your life. But how is it that women, every generation, give rise mostly to offspring who are healthy, even though, on average, every woman who gives birth, let's say, is 30 years old. Your great-great-grandmother gave her mitochondria to your great-grandmother, who gave them to your grandmother, who gave them to your mother, who gave them to you. Those mitochondria are now 100 years old. So how is it that those genomes aren't complete garbage? The answer is is that in the female germline, there are mechanisms of quality control that tend to weed out either defective mitochondria with defective mitochondrial DNA or, and these aren't necessarily mutually exclusive they're removing cells in the early germline of females that happen to have a preponderance of mutant genomes. Selection can happen either at the level of individual mitochondria or it can happen at the level of cell death. Now, that's fine for thinking about the germline, but cell death is not the way we want to think about the somatic cells in our body, the body we care about on a daily basis, muscles, neurons, and brains. There, what we want to do is we want to slow or stop and hopefully even reverse this accumulation of the mutant genomes that inexorably occurs as we age. Because we can't really stop the damage. Damage is a function of ATP production. That damage is more or less inevitable. And things like taking antioxidants and so on don't seem to actually help with that. Oftentimes, they actually make the situation worse. So, what we've been interested in is the question of whether mitochondrial DNA quality control exists. And whether if it does exist, it can be stimulated. So the focus of our recent paper is addressing this question. The way we do this is by creating animals that artificially have a lot of damage to their mitochondrial genome. We actually express a restriction enzyme in Drosophila in muscle tissue, post mitotic tissue that cleaves the mitochondrial genome twice and then snips out a piece and then ligates it back together again. So it creates a circle, but the circle is a smaller circle, and it's missing genes required for electron transport proton pumping. So that then generates a situation in which we now have young animals that have an old fly's mitochondrial DNA. And then what we ask is, what happens to that mitochondrial DNA when we tweak various cellular pathways with the goal then of... Asking, we know this happens in all animals. We know it happens in humans. Uh, You can watch it happen in muscle by taking biopsies of people over time. They accumulate these mutations that ultimately cause the death of muscle fibers. This is whose strength as we age. So we can model this in Drosophila in flight muscle, which turns out to be one of the most energy intensive muscles in the world. And it's because it has to be hundreds of times per second, and keep the fly able to fly over really long distances. So the long and the short of it is then that when we build these flies, we get a very high frequency of mutant mtDNA, about 75%. When we then look at quality control, what we find is that in fact it is possible to selectively eliminate the mutant mitochondrial genomes. How do you go about that? So if a mitochondria loses its membrane potential, because it's lost the ability to do electron transport, then that causes the mitochondrial membrane to depolarize. That depolarization stabilizes the pink protein on the mitochondria. Pink recruits Parkin, Parkin ubiquitinates, modifies a number of other proteins, and that then ultimately results in the damaged mitochondria being taken up by autophagy, taken up by membrane structures that targeted off to the lysosome, sort of garbage disposal of the cell. So the question then became, that pathway has been known now for a few years, but what's never been clear is, does that pathway act at the level of just the mitochondria, or can it selectively promote the removal of just those mitochondria that carry mutant mtDNA, damaged genomes? What we found, which is really exciting, is that if we simply stimulate The autophagy process, which is normally occurring at a basal level in the cells, or if we increase the activity of pink and parkin, either one of those modest increases in activity can drive down the level of mutant genomes from about 75% to about four or five percent. And that's really a remarkable decrease. Because we know that you only show the consequences of having mutant mtDNA if you have a high frequency, something like 75%, 60% on up. So the goal, really, that's implied by our work is that it may actually be possible to take one aspect of aging, this accumulation of damaged genomes that always occurs, And we may actually be able to reverse it to actually get rid of the mutant genomes and then allow cells to repopulate themselves with the remaining genomes, which by definition are functional.
1: So you created this model in fruit flies that was aiming to reproduce older phenotype within a younger animal. Mutant DNA is about 70% in the cell, which is the level at which it becomes really problematic. By reducing it back down to 4%, is 4% closer to the level that most of us start with?
0: Oh, yeah. It turns out that almost all of us carry some level of mutant MTDNA when we're born, because not all of it gets cleared out through this maternal quality control mechanism. Again, as soon as you're born, you're six to eight pounds, you have a huge number of cells. Those cells have already started to accumulate some of this damage. And then again, through this mysterious mechanism that we don't understand, some of the mutations that you inherited from your mother are going to clonally expand. They're going to increase in frequency. I should mention that mothers aren't perfect in getting rid of these mutant genomes. And that's why there's a whole family of maternally inherited diseases of the mitochondria that are quite devastating because the individuals who inherit a significant fraction of the mutant genomes, then those genomes expand and they end up affecting heart, muscles, eyes, other tissues. So oftentimes, people with these mitochondrial diseases will show an age-dependent, but oftentimes early age-dependent, decline in all of the things that we care about.
1: So were you able to study the function of the muscles in the fruit fly wings after stimulating mitophagy?
0: We were, but the results were not bad. The bottom line is in the flight assays that we used, it's a very short distance flight assay. So at the ultrastructural level, the muscles look fine. At the flight level, flying after you release them into a container, that also seems to be fine. That reflects the fact that this assay is really just a do-the-muscles-function-at-all assay. To really test mitochondrial DNA, you oftentimes need something a little more extreme, like an aerobic exercise or a long, long flight if you're a fly. So, our flies, even though they have 70% mutant genomes, at a gross level, they're pretty normal. They can fly for short distances in the bottle, which is as far as they can go because the bottle's pretty small. So, they look normal. This actually is the same thing that happens in humans. You really only start to see problems at the cellular level and the organismal level when the frequency of the mutant genomes reaches 70, 80, 90%. And the reason is again, it comes back to this idea of sharing. Even though you have a high frequency of these mutant genomes, so long as the mitochondria that host them are fusing with each other, creating this interlocked network, the good mitochondrial genomes can buffer the dysfunction that's caused by having a high frequency of mutant genomes. And so ATP production actually doesn't, at the cellular level, decrease oftentimes until you get a very high frequency of mutations.
1: Is there any plans for this work to move up into a different animal (laughs) model?
0: Two ideas. One is to create a mouse that, say, creates deletions in young animals and tissues we care about, particularly the brain and the muscle, and then use that as a system in which to identify genes and drugs that promote the selective removal of the mutant mtDNA. At the same time, we want to also create um, mammalian cell-based screening systems. So, of course, what we'd like to do is to go screen for molecules that specifically target mutant mtDNA, removal without having other effects on the cell. The way you do that is you start off, for example, with a cell-based system and you find drugs that do what you want them to do in cell culture and then you take those drugs and you go introduce them into animal models. And so the idea behind, for example, making a mouse or making other organisms that carry this construct of ours that induces mitochondrial deletions. With the animals, you can then take the focus set of drugs that you identified that had an effect in cell culture, and you can go test those drugs now in animal models that are either distantly related to humans or fairly closely related, like the mouse. In that way, because mouse muscle ages in a very similar way to humans, both in muscle and the brain we can test the drugs for efficacy and also look for off-target effects.
1: Are there any bioengineering techniques that are being looked at to also affect mitophagy?
0: Because we're talking mostly as we age with about post cells like muscles or neurons, we don't have easy ways of getting large molecules like proteins into those cells Because we would have to do them all throughout the body, and in particular, getting things into the brain can be quite difficult. What we're focused on then is taking advantage of the fact that we know from our work where we get rid of the quality control system completely, we see then an increase in the frequency of deletions. That tells us that quality control does exist. The Converse experiment, increasing the levels of the quality control machinery, And seeing we get a big decrease in the levels of the mutant genome tells us that we can stimulate it. So what we're focused on is not so much genetic engineering in the classic sense of putting new genes into people, but rather gently tweaking using small molecules components that normally would carry out quality control, but don't because they're usually tied up doing other things. Mm -hmm. A good example of this is the whole cycle of mitochondrial fission fusion. Fusion promotes ATP production. It is a great thing to do if you're in a fight or flight situation or you're using your brain a lot, using your eyes you don't have time for quality control, you have things to do. But if you want to have those cells be functional for a very long time, you need a time for quality control. We think the way to do that is to use small molecules that can, in otherwise healthy people, transiently upregulate these processes so that they work a little harder for a while, just like cleaning your office once a year. You spend one day, you do a little house cleaning, and the hope is that you can eliminate some of this damage in a way that doesn't have other effects on cells in your body. But it's an empirical question. We'll have to try a bunch of those drugs.
1: There are thousands of mitochondrion cells that are digesting, essentially, food substances. Could extended periods of fasting give them some relief for quality control?
0: That's a great question. It's a very important question because we know that intermittent fasting, caloric restriction does extend lifespan. That's mm-hmm. very clear. Now, why does it do that? One of the things that happens when you starve is you stimulate autophagy, actually stimulate within your cells this process of self-eating. The cells are actually using that as a way to turn over resources that they already have within the cell. Right. If resources aren't coming in from the outside. So a very interesting question would be either through intermittent fasting and or through various kinds of exercise perhaps coupled with that can you create situations that are more conducive to quality control such that then drugs that you take would have a better chance of stimulating this process. An example of this that we found in our work is that if we simply decreased the rate of mitochondrial fusion so we forced mitochondria to remain isolated from each other longer than they normally would before they fuse with each other we could again dramatically stimulate the removal of the mutant genomes and so what that suggests is that it's not only about stimulating autophagy and stimulating the pink parkin pathway that tags the mitochondria but it's also about decreasing the levels of these antagonistic processes mitochondrial fusion Mm -hmm. because simply by allowing mitochondria to display their true colors by keeping them in an isolated state you're keeping them apart from the team And in doing that, you're requiring that they be able to generate their own ATP or be able to generate their own electron transport chain proton gradient. And if they can't do that, then the idea is that they're recognized and removed. So the idea would be testing in various ways things like coordinately increasing autophagy and perhaps at the same time decreasing the amount of mitochondrial fusion so that you try and create a synergy between the processes that are going on in the cell. You want to keep more mitochondria isolated so they can be tested and degraded if they're found wanting. But you also need to stimulate the basal process, autophagy, that picks them up and takes them away to the garbage disposal. Because if either one of those things is not optimized for quality control, if it's optimized for short-term gains, then the system is just not tuned well and it won't work well. The idea is that that's why we age with respect to mitochondrial DNA, with respect to this accumulation of mutations that causes us to lose strength, to lose cognitive function, and ultimately to have cell death, is that... Fission and fusion, autophagy, the pink Parkin pathway, these are tuned to mostly take care of daily business. What we need to do is to tweak the system mm. so that these processes are, for some period of time, more focused on our future self.
1: Right. We're very glad you're working on this since it's so important. Science takes time, but it's also thrilling, I think, with a lot of the different research that's taking place right now in the various areas that relate to aging, that there could be some really legitimate therapies for us within our lifetime
0: There are a lot of things that go wrong with aging. Just to give a specific example that highlights the difference between the nuclear genome and the mitochondrial genome is the following. The nuclear genome does accumulate mutations, and we have two copies of it, and that protects us to some extent. But we only have two copies, and while those copies can be repaired, over time they accumulate mutations... Importantly, there's no way of wholesale replacement of those genomes. So that kind of accumulation of damage is more or less inevitable and it's not clear how we could reverse it other than through things like stem cell therapies from cells from your own body. But again, those also have to be from a younger you, not an older you. Otherwise, you're just putting an older genome back into you again. Whereas with the mitochondrial genome, because they can undergo a process of quality control, of selection based on their ability to maintain this proton gradient... With those genomes, and because we have thousands of them per cell, we can afford to lose some of them because they can always be replaced because every mitochondria divides a bit like a bacteria. It just divides. Mitochondrial DNA replicates and... So long as there is a selection procedure that works to eliminate the ones that can't carry out the basic functions, then we actually have hope for reversing this cause of aging. And again, the key (coughs) observations that make us think that mitochondria are important in aging is one that mitochondrial function very clearly does decline in a lot of tissues with aging. Mutations do accumulate as you age, in particular in cells that lose function that we care about, muscles and neurons. And also from the mouse, there are Very interesting studies where people have made versions of the DNA polymerase that replicates the mitochondrial genome that are mutation-prone. Thus, those mice accumulate a high frequency of mutations early in life. In consequence, they actually show premature aging phenotypes a lot of them. Altogether, those kinds of observations really suggest pretty strongly that mutant mtDNA accumulation is likely to be an important cause of aging. Again, not the only cause, but what makes us excited is we think it really clearly is different in that it's reversible. You really can house clean away these mutant genomes, leaving behind the functional ones because you can carry out a selection. Right. That's just something you can't do with the nuclear genome.
1: Thanks for listening and come visit us soon at humanos.me.